Oxford from the inside. The good, the bad, but always the truth. Hey guys, welcome to Oxford from the inside. The good, the bad, but always the truth. Today we're here with Arthur. Would you like to introduce yourselves? Yeah, hi guys. My name is Arthur and I'm a finalist at Somerville College and I study AMH or Ancient and Modern History. Nice. And um, as Arthur said, um, uh, we're, today we're going to be st- um, talking about um, what it's like studying Ancient and Modern History at Oxford. Um, so Arthur, um, hit us off with um, what is AMH? What is Ancient and ancient Modern History? Uh, so AMH is a like smaller subject you can do at Oxford. So it, it very much comes under like the main subject of history, but al- alongside things like history and politics, history and economics, you can do what are known as sort of joint honours, where you're mainly doing history, but you're combining it with another subject. And in the case of AMH, the subject you're kind of combining with is classics. Um, so ancient modern history is very simply history and classics, you know, by a different name. And as such, you know, an ancient modern historian can do sort of Latin, Greek, you know, history that is considered ancient, Roman, that kind of thing. Um, and yeah, that's basically what the subject is. Yeah. Nice. Um, just like, uh, just from what I know, like classics has, has, classics has quite a few different like discourses and disciplines within the subject, mm-hmm. like uh, literature, language, um, history, philosophy, which part of... Um, AMH does that take take from classics if that makes sense yeah no I see what you mean it's like predominantly history because the assumption is that if that as an ancient modern historian like most of what you do will be uh, normal history modules and so those skills will be um, transferable to this sort of ancient history part of classics whereas uh, sort of you know pottery archaeology literature language you can definitely explore those if you want, but they're less sort of core component to AMH as they are to classics. Um, mm-hmm. So it is the, the, the only thing that you would, as an AMHer, have to do from classics is the ancient history. Mm. Nice. So just like a, if someone was really into um, ancient history, but looking at it, not just the history side, but um, the literature, um, language, as you were saying, archaeology, pottery, um, they should look at look into classics as well, definitely. Yeah, absolutely look into classics as well. I think the like fund like probably the most fundamental difference is if you do AMH, you are under no sort of um, uh, obligation to do any language. You don't have to do Latin, you don't have to do Greek, you've never had to have done those things. Whereas if you do classics, whether you've done it before or not, you will have to learn Latin or Greek or both. Um, and that's and that's the the, the fundamental difference. But Outside from that, the sort of other sort of disciplines that fall under these subjects, you can explore in both. I would say, like, if you prefer history and, you know, don't want to do the language, AMH is more for you. Whereas if you don't mind doing the language and you like history, but you also think that the literature and archaeology is interesting as well, then then classic should be a real option as well. Nice. Um, I've I've heard that um, with, like, straight history, that all of the module options and like things that you can open to learn about are from 1066 and onwards. Is that, is that true? Um, I think so. His, it's, it's weird because I'm going to have to define like modern and ancient history in two different ways as part of this. 
because when you when when talking about um the sort of the difference between like classics and history modern and ancient the line there is sort of around like say like the fifth century ad so like fall of the roman empire the end of antiquity the beginning of like the dark ages or the medieval the middle ages right and so as a historian you can really do anything from then to the present and as a classicist you won't do you're likely not to do anything beyond that point and then ancient modern history you can do from either side confusingly then if you're just looking at history kind of forgetting classics um modern doesn't mean after you know 400 ad it kind of means after like the 18th century right so depending if you're just talking about history or talking about all the all these subjects lined up against each other ancient and modern have slightly different meanings um mm. but like the kind of consistent meaning is that ancient is this kind of before 400 ad classical period kind of thing um mm. and modern is what comes after right so did you say that so if someone was they're deciding between studying amh or straight history did you say that um if you do a straight history degree in oxford's that your modules will primarily be the 18th century and onwards? No, not 18th century and onwards. This is the thing, because there's these two definitions of modern. As a historian, you can do like modern history, Renaissance, early modern history, medieval history, and then kind of like early Middle Ages, right? So anything between like 400 AD and the present, um, that's the kind of scope of the, of, the, of the school of history, right? And then anything before that is classics modules even if it's history it still falls under the sort of school of classics um so if you if you like if, if you have no interest in rome or greece or the persian empire cicero caesar all of that then history is the subject for you if you are interested in exploring those things but also studying you know the french revolution or the crusades or the renaissance or world war ii then ancient modern history you know draws from both so that's the the line is more at the end of antiquity and it's sort of the fifth century ad nice um, that's what um, yeah that, make, that makes a lot more sense that makes a lot of sense um so it is, it is confusing <laughs> it is confusing because they like if they call it history but they put it under a different school and there are some like modules which like could reasonably and like be both um but yeah it's nice um so um, say you've got two students, you've got one AMH student and one history student. How um, are their module choices different? And how many uh, history modules does an AMH student have or is it flexible, et cetera? Um, it's flexible. So the idea with AMH is that you have an expectation that, you know, in your prelims, which is your sort of first year um, where you have a sort of a set of four modules and then exams at the end and then your finals which is years two and three so a dissertation and sort of six other things um that there's a kind of minimum requirement for hit like history modules and ancient history modules uh and then the modules in the middle um you can pick kind of what you want and, and fill the rest up with what you want. So as long as you're meeting your kind of base requirement to either school, everything in the middle is up to you. So it, you, for example, like take the prelims because it's simpler. You do four modules. Um, one will be uh, a period of European and world history. 
which is a list of papers that every historian, ancient modern historians and historian, will pick one from. Uh, one will be a, a paper called the optional subject, which is a kind of specific uh, like study in an event or a thing or an idea. And so those are things like the French Revolution or the Treaty of Versailles. Um, as an ancient and modern histor uh, historian, you could pick the French Revolution or uh, you could pick one of the like few ancient options they've sort of added to that list purely for your benefit. Um, so at that point, so, you know, two modules so far, one is a, a you know, full history module, nothing to do with AMH. The next one, it's kind of up to you, you could go either way. Then the third thing you do, uh, this is where there's sort of more uh, divide between historians and AMHs, where all historians in their prelims and later on in their finals as well, will do a period of British history, again, picking a module from a list. What is substituted out uh, for an AMHR, or, or what is substituted out for an AMHR is the British history. What is brought in is uh, you pick a period of Roman or Greek history and you do that instead. As a module, as like a, a, a sort of a taught module, as an examination, it's quite similar in that, you know, you have eight tutorials through the term, you do eight essays, you'll have like one paper at the end of the year, it's three hours, you write three essays. On all those kind of levels, it's the same, except you're doing a period of Roman history or Greek history rather than British. Um, and then the fourth module you do as a prelims student in AMH or history is what's known as paper four. And there are a few options this could be. It could be like historiography or approaches to history. These are kind of like general historiographical options that most historians do. Um, but then again, you could also in place of that do a sort of Latin or Greek module, depending on your level, like beginner or intermediate. Uh, and so you can see how like as an AMHer, your first year, your four modules could be very akin to what the historians are doing. You, you do that, you know, required period of Greek or Roman history, but then you might do some a modern European and world history paper, a modern optional subject and, you know, historiography or approaches to history, which all the other historians might be doing. So, or, or you could do your required period, uh, sort of period of Roman history, a ancient optional subject, um, a sort of normal historians, European and world history, and then beginners Latin. So any, a, a, whichever AMH, you could have quite a different um, sort of uh, breakdown of your first mm. year, leaning more towards the ancient and modern. Um, obviously the consistent parts there are the period of ancient history and the period of European and world history kind of as the baseline mm. presenting you the school. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Um, Using, but... um, I'm thinking, so is it, is it, so if someone, some, for someone listening to this, um, it sound, for me, it sounds like, would it be sensible for, if someone was to think, oh, I don't know um, which of ancient or which parts of history I'm specifically interested in, is it a safe bet to apply for AMH because then you have more options to your disposal or, yeah? What, yeah, um, I think it's a really good question because it, it, on a, like, I'm inclined to say, yeah, because as an AMHer, I've only ever felt like I've had more options available. Um, you know, if, even if it's just one or two, they don't, you know, they're not nearly as many ancient history modules as the modern history modules. 
for the normal historians, but it's just a, still an extra couple that you can choose from. Um, and if you are interested, for example, in studying British history, uh, even though that's substituted out in your prelim year, in your years two and three, you can uh, choose to replace either British history or European and world history with an ancient one. So you can still do sort of everything that you want. I think the caveat to that is if, 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 it, if you're really not sure, and but there's part of you which is inclined to think that you will just prefer the normal modern history modules. The risk is if you take AMH consistently through the three years, there is an expect an expected like minimum amount of ancient history you have to do, and I could see that being frustrating. You know, when you come to pick your modules in your final year, uh, and you've you've realised in your first year that it's actually modern history you really like, and that you're not really bothered with ancient history, but you you've sort of got to get used to the idea that you will have to pick some ancient papers for your finals, which, you know, require a lot of time and revision and, and sort of the biggest part of your degree, right? Mm. So there is there is the risk of that, but it can be like minimized. Mm. I think of uh, seven like things, so pieces of coursework, dissertation, exams, of seven things that sort of make up my final sort of examinations over years two and three. Uh, three are ancient and four are modern. And so there's still just a kind of reasonably even balance between the two. Um, that, that's the only risk of going with AMH over normal history. So, yeah, because there's still like three out of seven is like almost 50%. So it's still a massive, massive yeah. amount. So as you, so I guess we're saying that, um, uh, if someone's um, not not too sure what specific part of history they're interested in, in instead of necessarily straight away going for, oh, well, AMH, they've got more choices, maybe to continue to read a bit further in the modules to then try to decide where their interests lie rather than taking the option where they have most opportunity. Yeah, I, I think that's fair as well. I mean, I, like I'm, I'm partly biased because I enjoy ancient history and I, it's never felt like a burden. But I can imagine if you didn't like ancient history, like three, three sevenths of your finals being all ancient would be um, frustrating. I think it, you, you, you've got to have an interest in ancient history and, enough to see you through that. Uh, so it, it would have to be a careful decision. If it was just history with more options, everyone would do it. And it would just be, they would just reform the syllabus. Like it is different um, and there are different requirements. So yeah, I hope for anyone listening, we're not painting ancient history as a burden at all. I mean, from no. my... <laughs> <laughs> um, sure. But um, yeah, I mean, yeah, from my perspective and interests, I, I'd much prefer the ancient Greek, uh, the Greek and Roman times uh, as more interesting. But um, as like a, I don't know how to describe this, like an approach to, as a subject, is is ancient history different to modern history? Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I see what you mean. Um, I think in small ways, yes. Like, it, you're, there's no requirement that you're not going to be like translating Latin and Greek in the exam or as part of your revision. That's not expected or required. It's still like history is still like, um, 
take a time period or you know and then within that take some themes or topics and then sort of build up an understanding of those ideas um so like the the time period could be you know the 18th century and the sort of idea topic could be you know liberalism or the enlightenment or whatever is era appropriate and then you kind of build up an understanding of that idea and the different historical arguments about it that is the same the skills are the same the process is the same uh written so it really does feel like i'm doing seven history modules rather than four history and three classical like it's very much seven history modules caveat to that is the fundamental difference between like all this modern history stuff and the classical period is that the our understanding of the ancient period is much more based on a fewer number of texts and the texts themselves like a kind of much more universally like narrative based and interpretive and so there's an unavoidable literary component and that can vary in scope depending on the options that you pick like that it will have a bigger presence in your uh, studying and your understanding of the period but like when when you're you know writing about the french revolution you don't there's not nearly the same requirement to be talking about the na- like the narratives of writers you can kind of have a more general understanding and make it have more underlying assumptions the way we're kind of used to studying history okay these are the facts let's put them on different sides of an argument right with ancient history it's like oh what is you know Livy saying why is he written it this way who are his characters there's a bit of that but it's it's still very grounded as a kind of as part of a historical discussion rather than like a literary essay which would be I think a different thing entirely so so I'm slightly unsure what you specifically mean by literary component and how how is the modern history course if that yeah how is the uh, modules from modern history as what i meant um have less of a literary component just for the viewers uh, uh yeah no uh, that's totally fair i think so like we're studying like modern history there's it, it sounds weird to say because obviously there's like loads of debate about modern history and the idea that there are just facts that you can just be you are unassuming is is misleading but as it affects your your studying you're going to be as a modern historian like reading there'll be a lot less sort of uh primary source work and like the skills involved in that like you can get through a lot of the modules most of the modules with like a secondary source understanding of like okay this is what vaguely happened and then historians have like had different interpretations and so i'm going to kind of enter into that discussion the literary component is where you know when i'm studying an ancient history module i am reading those historians and their arguments and interpretations and like drawing upon them but also i'm reading like uh, a book by a 2000 year old dude who has like written about the times he is living in and it's like our main there's like one or two sources from the period and so i think when there are far fewer sources available like the number of things that could even be considered like a fact is much more reduced. So the whole process becomes more interpretive of the text rather than interpretive of the facts. 
it's it's it, it, the thing is like undergraduate history you know there are it, it's that you, you do make assumptions of like oh this is what happened but like what do we what did what does that mean what's the interpretation ancient history is a little bit more like um trying to like get a sense of what actually could have happened or like why maybe certain people at the time wanted to portray it a certain way um mm. and it, like people who do history like recognize that as something that happens in modern history i just think it's a bigger component mm. in ancient history you're more reliant on fewer and more narrative based texts it's it's difficult i'm realizing it's not quite difficult to explain the difference um no but, it makes a lot of sense okay how you explain it it's really good um yeah i was so as like a quick question am i right in saying assuming that you look at more primary texts in ancient history compared to modern history i think as a general yes mm. Um, at an undergraduate level, yeah. Yeah. The, though, as a historian, you'll have opportunities to do primary text work in your finals when you do, like, your dissertation and um, you do your, you know, special subject where that's more, like, primary text-based kind of specifically. But broad, other than, you know, specific things where, like, that's, you know, the, the point, the emphasis of that paper. Generally, when you're doing modern history, you're not, Sort of doing close reading of the primary text, you don't really need to. You, you're, it's easy. You, you're fine to just work with what the historians have said happened, like what they said happened, and what the different arguments about that is. With ancient history, it's more, okay, what did Livy or Polybius or Cicero actually say is going on? Why do they say different things? That it becomes more of a debate about that. So, so you said that with modern histories because you don't need to. Um, look at the primary text because the secondary text is sort of good enough. Is the reason why in ancient history it's that's not necessarily the case is that the primary text itself is so open to interpretation that you, it's you also yourself are allowed to I guess put your own opinion on what's being said. I I, I possibly I think like there's loads of there's as you know so much. Uh, secondary and historical writing about like the ancient period, like so many books about the Roman Empire, but it's that what they're writing about is is such is, is much smaller in scope in terms of evidence that like it is a like possible to like actually get an understanding of it. Whereas like if I was thinking about the French Revolution, like and I want in a kind of primary source way, like how many thousands of like pamphlets, letters all of these things would I have to grapple with to like confidently write about it at all. So I think it's just more plausible based on the scope of the evidence mm. with ancient history to like, because usually depending on the thing you're studying, there'll be, you know, one or two like main like written sources that apply to it. So like I can feasibly, you know, if I'm thinking about like a particular Roman civil war, it's, it's plausible that I could read like most of the words written in that era about that war. Whereas take any medieval or early modern or modern war and there's no way I could reach, like read that same level mm. of sort of primary source understanding. So I think it's probably more in that. Mm. Um, yeah, that, that really paints a quite a vivid picture as well of what, 
um, I think to me at least, um, how ancient history is different to modern history in terms of how you'd approach the subject and how much, yeah, giving a, a more vivid picture of how much evidence there is behind uh, both, both eras. Um, one of my friends who does history, he always said to me that um, in undergraduate history, um, you're not, it's rare that you're encouraged to um, think of your own, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to word this wrong, but I'll try it. He said that it, it's, it's rare that you're encouraged to think of your own ideas because that's what researchers or academics do. Norm, as an undergraduate, you um, look at what other people have said and try to answer your, like, answer your essays looking at what other people have said. How true is that and does that change? And how does that apply to ancient history? Because this yeah, was to um, this is a historian I asked, so I'm saying, wondering if that changes with ancient history as well. Yeah, I think I mean broadly, I kind of do agree with that. Like we're undergraduate historians, we're not like breaking new ground. I mean, even in the dissertation, they're like originality is good. I mean, that I think like the most original piece of work you will do as part of your history degree, and originality is like it's cool if you've got it. Um, I think the the job of like an undergraduate historian is to wrap your head around a period of time or an idea or a thing that happened. And by wrap your head around that, it, it means wrap your head around like what you kind of get the impression like happened, why it happened, what were the consequences, you know, the, the thing itself. Get your head around like how that was then understood by historians at different times. And, you know, maybe why that was, you know, Marxist historians from a time past and, you know, modern historians with new ideas and, you know, the emergence of like gender history and, and all of this stuff, right? Like, it's all just like new lenses on the same stuff. It, you're just sort of engaging with that. Like you write an essay and it'll be a lot of like, okay, this happened and this is probably why this happened. And I find, you know, historian X's version more convincing than historian Y because I believe that these economic factors are more important than you know ideological factors and so it's it's just sort of most essays and, and papers and things like that like the biggest component is almost just like responding to the ideas that other historians have put out there and I mean, bro, I mean, but that's not to, it's, I don't think this is a disservice because like academic history is a lot like that. Like people do a lot of their own primary research, but it's primarily to like, like prop up how they're about to disagree with a different historian. You know what I mean? Like they're, they're all just responding to each other as well in great, you know, decade long feuds between different schools of historians. So it's not uh, like unrepresentative of what history as a, as a discipline is, except that you're just not required to have this like insane understanding of the primary sources because there are so many. Um, additionally, like as part of your finals, like you'll do a dissertation, you might do an extended essay, uh, you'll do like a Gobbett's paper, which is um, a Gobbett's paper is where instead of writing essays, you write commentaries on a primary source. And as part of like those kinds of modules, like the importance of understanding of the primary source and like your own original research, is like more emphasized than like you, you might find in first year. And, you know, like I did a dissertation. And so 
I went to an archive and read primary sources and tried to write something that like other people hadn't really written before. How far I did that successfully, we'll find out. But like you do get an experience of that as well, like, if you want to, right? Um, yeah, does that kind of answer the question? Yeah, yeah. I think we, we all feel differently because unlike a science, right, where you have like kind of a rigid, a rigid structure of lectures and things that you have to understand and you're always building on other things. With history, like even within the same module, even with the same like subtopic, even with the same essay, there are so many different ways to go about it. It's so like interpretive. And so there might, I'm sure there are history students out there that would have strongly disagreed with what your friend said because they made like a really conscious effort to have their own understanding of the primary sources and decided that that's how they were gonna write all their essays. And I, and I think, so it's like, you can make of it what you want. Nice. One one thing I've heard um, uh, is that there's like a one of the aims of that humanity students try to um, get out from the essays is independent thought. And um, how does that? Can you describe us a bit more about what that is in terms of in within AMH? Okay. Um, it's it's very. It, I I would say that uh, it's very di- like not very different to history because the modules and how you study the modules are the same i'd say the only difference is which is small is that on some of the kind of like um ancient history papers that you do because of the limitations of the primary source material and that you can kind of read it yourself and that's not you're not reliant necessarily on other historians all the time uh you can sometimes feel like a little bit more free to come up with your own ideas they would have probably been thought of before and written somewhere else but sometimes you feel as though you're building an understanding of the period in a way or with a confidence that maybe you couldn't that you would never build about like 18th century France or 20th Mm. century Britain because it's there's so much more going on there uh other than that it's it's here I would emphasize that like in a lot of ways, AMH is so similar to history and like the day-to-day, the like essays, the reading, the, the ways of thinking are going to be the same. Mm. That Like that's my experience. It's the experience of a lot of the AMHs I know. And I think until you get to the realm of like, as an AMH you're picking like Latin and Greek, I think it's gonna be, that's gonna, it's gonna be true for most of us. Um, so yeah, the difference is slight. Mm, nice. Um, and more about you. Um, how have you found the course? And can you tell us a bit more about which uh, modules um, you chose? And yeah, and then after that, we'll talk about what modules there are available. Um, but yeah, which okay, modules yeah. did you choose? Yeah. Um, so to the first question, I enjoyed AMH. Uh, I think it's a good subject. I like that I could do both because I always had an interest in ancient history and history um, that were kind of separate but connected. And like, it was just the, it was one of those things where it's like, oh, it's just the perfect course. Like, you know, sometimes you find it. Um, for me, and, and, and I, I didn't feel ever like burdened or restricted when I was studying. And whilst I study, uh, the, 
the module choices were there was plenty of variety and there was enough space for me to do like the amount of ancient history that I wanted and the amount of modern that I wanted and if there was ever kind of a, a thing of you know, like that requirement of okay maybe I wanted to do a modern history module but actually I still needed to do one more ancient to fulfill a requirement it's it's worth pointing out that history like if you just do straight history there are still um sort of requirements on what periods you have to cover like you couldn't do all medieval if you did straight history so uh, if it's a limitation of AMH it's a limitation of all subjects there will always be things within a subject that like you do have to do a, a minimum a minimum amount of or a, a core thing that everyone has to do so I never felt sort of hard done by it uh, no I, I enjoyed the subject I think I had good tutors the like classics ancient history tutors are very nice they're not like snooty towards AMHs even though you know we don't have the language I, I imagine they find it a bit refreshing that they can just like not speak in Greek for an hour and um, that sort of thing so yeah AMHs are more chill I imagine for them and easy uh, I actually found the ancient history modules to be easier broadly as a kind of I don't want to like like meta game the the a degree at Oxford but like it absolutely bumped my grades up a bit to be performing better in the ancient modules than the modern I think that's you know worth nice. knowing can seem a bit easier yeah. uh, just because as I said earlier there's like less to grapple with often uh, what did I actually do okay so in my prelims I sort of did what I more or less outlined earlier where I did the period of Roman history my uh, paper which was European and world I did the long 19th century, which is 1815 to 1914. And the European and world papers are like general, like Europe and the world, uh, mostly Europe. And you're, you're covering like a 100, 200 year period. And then you within that pick topics like the economy or uh, political ideologies or uh, sort of place of women in society or ideology around gender or race, right? And then you you study it within that kind of time period doing comparative between different places. My optional subject in first year, the close study was the French Revolution. So like a little bit of source work, but mostly still not, to be honest. Uh, that was a lot of fun. It's your first taste of like doing something in depth rather than like a big broad, you know, 100, 200 year thing. And then I did approaches to history, which most, a lot of historians do, where you do things like Approaches to history is like uh, how history interacts with other disciplines. So you can do things like history and archaeology, history and sociology, history and economics. They're kind of within, within that. Uh, as, as for my finals, um, as I said, you kind of do seven things. Uh, I did a, another period of Roman history, just kind of following on from the last, quite typical that you will do that. They kind of, you're just working through the story. Uh, I did a dissertation, which I did on, uh, it was a modern history dissertation. It was on um, the British Mandate of Palestine in the 1940s. So that was sort of archival research based. Uh, I did my uh, special subject, which is uh, worth two things, um, was uh, Cicero and the sort of political thought of the late Roman Republic. And so the two things are, uh, an essay 
based exam and a Gobbett's paper that kind of commentaries on a primary source because it's mostly based on Cicero's writings. Uh, I do disciplines, which is the general like historiography module that every historian has to do. Uh, I did a further subject, which was on the Middle East and the age of empire from 1830 to 1970 odd. And I did another European and world history paper, which was um, America from independence to after the civil war. I think that's the seven. Does that sound like seven? Yeah, that was seven. Nice. Probably was seven. <laughs> so that, those, are, those are the seven parts of my finals. They're all pretty good papers. Um, the dissertation I think was the best part by far, like having your own space to like come up with a project and and it seems really daunting when you start but like you vet everyone very quickly figures it out I think and like you produce something which is like 12,000 words has primary source you know like a bibli a, a primary a set of primary sources a bibliography you've come up with the structure the argument the drive um you can print it off in a fun but like it, it's it, it's a really cool part of the degree I think and then uh, papers are just cool Nice. I can give more detail on those papers, but um, we, I was. I was going to ask, um, just as the last question, um, can you give us, uh, if there's too many, then a, a few of the rundown of the different modules you can take that are part of the ancient history within AMH? Yeah, for sure. Um, so, like one category is the like period of Greek or period of Roman history. Uh, there's like the same number of both, but obviously covering different periods. I actually don't know which periods the Greek bit covers, but it will be inevitably older than the Roman. So like 500 BC, right? And then the those Roman histories are like, you know, 200 to 100 BC, 100 to 0 BC, 0 to 100 BC, just, you know, segmented. Um, and then, you know, the options for like in finals, like the further and the special, there are papers on like Athenian democracy, on um, Alexander the Great and his big empire, uh, Cicero and the, like the political thought. Um, there's one that's based, one that's more architectural, I think. Uh, so there's a few more like out there options. Um, yeah, th those are the, there aren't loads. You know, what I've just said probably represents like probably like half of what act there actually is total. But those are the kind of things, you know, it's, it's I, I think as a general point, it's going to be mostly Roman or Greek. Um, so well, if you if you hear ancient history and you want to study like, you know, China at that time or India at that time, then you're, this is not the course for you. It's it's a very sort of Roman Greek, the classical Mediterranean world, a little bit of like Alexander and and you know, Persia, but mostly mm. Roman and Greek sections. And as a, as a last question, um, just for someone who's listening and thinking, when they hear you talking about Cicero and that is a um, writing about politics, um, what would you say to someone who says, um, how can like political writing in 2000 years ago be applicable now? Um, and how did you find that with studying Cicero? Um, I mean, it's a, it's a, a fair question. I don't know if I, you know, I, I wouldn't necessarily say that I'm someone who would argue that like a lot of this ancient history stuff 
isn't basically pointless um or not necessarily the point of it isn't to like apply to modern politics like there are there's other value in academic study and research um but like on that particular point but like at the end of the day like it's people and this is really gonna sound really simple but it's just people doing things that is all history is at most of the time like most times or animals and so like you know it, it doesn't matter if it's like Robespierre you know messing around in Paris in the 1790s or Stalin in the 1920s or Caesar in the 40s AD like we're still talking about social relationships power like economy like philosophy and ideology like the the core themes and ideas that drive like the study of history are always applicable when there are again people doing things Mm. so it's just it's just it's people doing things with a different uh sort of classical aesthetic it's still you know any any sort of application of like modern historical understanding you can if you try hard enough get the same sort of ideas from ancient historical understanding does that sort of make sense yeah definitely yeah yeah attacks that there's more there's i imagine lots of arguments for valuing history rather than just the idea of applying it to the present and that whether it's 100 years ago or 2000 years ago uh it, it, you should do what you're interested in and isn't and yeah you're interested in what people are doing things and just finding where and uh, uh, i mean when i should say um <laughs> but um yeah so um, that's all we've got time for today uh, that was really interesting um which if you listen to all the episodes i don't actually say that often and <laughs> but i, <laughs> I mean uh, i'll check <laughs> that sounds a bit of a, a bit of a stab i didn't mean to but um no it was really good um yeah thanks for joining us arthur i uh, really appreciate it yeah of course and thanks uh, for having me oh, no, and uh and thanks for the viewers and um, for listening whether it's on your podcasting platforms or uh youtube instagram um and yeah um, stay safe um stay in tune for our next episode and um, we'll see you guys later